The new liberal arts is inspiring students at Hiram College. I'm Abby, and I'm studying science, theater, and the art of communicating ideas. The new liberal arts is helping students find their unique voice and become their best self. I'm learning to think out loud, challenge myself, and everyone else. It's building a 21st century skill set and mindset that prepares them for careers of the future. I am ready to affect people's lives. I am Abby, and I am Hiram. Learn more about the new liberal arts at Hiram.edu. Welcome to Fireside Chats, 60 minutes of stimulating conversation with some of Northeast Ohio's most interesting entrepreneurs. Get the inside story from folks who have taken the leap and who are willing to share what they've learned, the good, the bad, and the inspiring. Fireside Chats, real entrepreneurs, real stories, real learning. Fireside Chats are brought to you by the Center for Integrated Entrepreneurship at Hiram College. Be sure to look for our Fireside Chat podcasts where you can listen on your own time and our dime. For more information, visit hiram.edu backslash entrepreneurship. Now, let's get chatting. Welcome everybody to another edition of Fireside Chats. Um, today we have with us Michael Hickox, who is a animation artist um, and a YouTube celebrity, I guess we could say. Um, he has a really interesting story. His background is actually mechanical engineering. Uh, he went to uh, University of Akron, uh, but decided he had a, a different path he wanted to take. So he's here to share his story with you. So anyone joining us uh, via live streaming, if you have any questions throughout the chat, Remember, you can email those to entrepreneurship at hiram.edu. And with that, Michael. Thanks for that intro. So again, to reiterate, my name is Michael Hickox. Uh, I make videos for YouTube, and more specifically, I make videos out of Legos, and it's Lego stop motion. Uh, it may not be exactly the demographic for this room, but uh, seeing that I guess I'm more closely your demographic, it seems to be you know, worthwhile talking about. So hopefully you guys can get something from this about my you know, story and advice and uh, you know, the, the business of YouTube. So to start off, a little bit about myself. Uh, born and raised in Parkman, Ohio, so I really haven't you know, traveled that far. Uh, I now live in Garrettsville Township, uh, which again is you know, right next door. Uh, I went to Cardinal High School in Millfield, Ohio, graduated class of 2009, and then I went to the University of Akron for mechanical engineering. Uh, I graduated 2014, and uh, actually top of my class, both high school and college, and the mechanical engineering program was five years with co-op, so you had you know, work experience, you were paired with engineering firms. So when I graduated, I had a job, and I was a mechanical engineer. However, you know, in the background, YouTube was going on, so that became my plan A. Uh, so to start out with my timeline, uh, independent of school, in 2005, uh, I was 13, 14, I got my first digital camera for my birthday. So I guess, again, that shows my age a little bit. I'm pushing 28 now, so when I was a kid, there was no smartphones, you had a digital camera, and that was that. So I, being a technical kid, I started playing around with the camera, trying to see what I could do. I made some live action videos, I found the programs that it came with, one of them was basic stop motion. So at the age of 13, 14, in 2005, I started making stop motion videos. Uh, in 2007, I, again, my, my timeline's right alongside with YouTube. YouTube, I think, launched in 2005, 
So the timing was perfect. Right when I started videos, YouTube started, and then we both grew together. So in 2007, I joined YouTube, and then in 2009, I was actually you know, professional at it. I was getting paid. So I've been paid now for almost 10 years on YouTube. I never imagined that would even start, so it's kind of cool that that was, you know, it's been 10 years, and it's a, a hobby in the making. So I guess the other thing to note is it was four years without making a dime before anything happened, and I sustained all this through high school and college, and like I said, I still graduated top of my class in both. So it's, uh, you know, if you find the right thing and can apply yourself, then, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities there. Uh, so I guess, you know, like I said, I make stop motion videos. So I, I guess not to, you know, talk down, but to introduce stop motion, uh, it's a series of taking pictures and turning them into video. So it's a, it's a physical process. You take pictures, you move the guy, you take a picture, repeat, and then eventually if you play fast enough, it looks like it's moving on its own. So it's like the old school cartoonist of pencil drawings, except I take the picture and they're Lego people. So for a Lego person, for example, it's very tedious, they're very small, high attention to detail. So if a, if a character wants to take a step, for example, it's five pictures. You've got to worry about the arms, left and right feet, things like that. So it's, it's, it's tedious, but again, you know, it's stop motion and people enjoy it. With frame rates, again, it's more the engineering side coming back. Uh, there's trade-offs. If you have a really high frame rate, your videos can be incredibly smooth, but it's very tedious to get that way. It's a lot of extra work for hardly any payoff. So my videos are done at 15 frames per second, which I've found is a happy middle ground. Uh, I think if you go to like a movie theater, film is like 24 frames a second. So slightly faster, but it's a lot more work for a slightly better product. And I'm fine, you know, slacking with other work. Uh, so about myself on YouTube, again, I've been on there for 10 years and counting. Uh, as a person, I have over 900 million views. And, you know, that's staggering if you think about it. Uh, I, I don't have access to the same statistics I did before, but for a long time, you know, for, for years, I was in the top 1,000 people on all of YouTube ever for view count. Just because if you think about it, all these big names, you know, like, like Adele will have a song get like a billion views. Well, then she'll do that next time to get a billion views. You know, there's, there's so few people that hit those numbers, and that's sort of a, a good bragging point, I guess. Uh, Currently, because of the, the time, and it, it takes a while to make a video, but I've been doing it for a number of years. I have probably 110 videos that are live, and 23 of those have over 10 million views each, with the leader having over 90 million views. So it's, it's continuous, it's worldwide, people eat it up, and more specifically, I guess, it's, it's the kid demographic. Uh, I have 1.3 million subscribers and counting. That number's always going up which that seems impressive, that did give me the, the gold play button I can hang on my wall, but the same side is that's a low number for my view count because it's kids. Kids either don't have an account, they're using their parents and hey, don't, don't subscribe to anyone except my account too, or you know, just things of that nature. So dealing with kids, there is plenty of shortcomings, but the other side is they're fanatic and they watched 900 million times. Uh, so I guess I was going to show a little video just to give a sample of this. I didn't want to assume that you know people have watched these videos because frankly they're not for this room. You know, so they I do have an example video from a couple years ago. It's far from the newest, far from the best, but it's a little three-minute sample that'll show what gained popularity. So as you can see, it was a oops, let me turn my mic on. 
So as you can see, the, the video is three minutes long. Uh, I know it was quiet in this room. I don't know if it picks up on the camera better. But uh, the, the videos are very universal. They're aimed towards kids. That's the main demographic. But they're, they're universal enough to where even an adult can find some value in them. Uh, the other side is you'll notice that there was no English other than like the titles. Because you've got to think of, in terms of YouTube, uh, my top 10 countries for view count, probably only two of them, or three of them, natively speak English. So, you know, a, a, a kid in Malaysia can ju get just as much enjoyment as, you know, a kid in the States. So it's very, very universal, and that's sort of where you get the, the widespread appeal. Uh, the other thing is, you know, people always ask, why Lego? Uh, and that was sort of, the, when, I, when I started out, I was making stop motion videos of all different kinds of mediums. And Lego was the only one that actually had a following. It had a culture around it, things of that nature. So I started making Lego videos just based on popularity. No one was watching my other videos. They were only watching the Lego ones. Okay, let's do that. So, you know, I, I sort of was guided by what was popular. And then uh, with Lego, it was also an easy thing to pick up as a hobby. You can, you know, make a video on your desk as opposed to, ooh, it's cloudy, we can't go out and film a live action today. So there's, there's different things with that. Uh, some more pictures behind the scenes just to give you a little glimpse. Uh, with stop motion, because it's lots of pictures, that three minute video was probably you know, 3,000 pictures to make. So it's, it's tedious and if, if there's any variation picture to picture, it picks up. Like if the light changes, even if a cloud rolls through real slow, picture to picture the lighting's a lot different, you'll get a lot of flicker, things like that. So the camera has to be on a tripod, it's controlled through the computer. Uh, you'll notice some of these scenes look very incomplete. That's because I, as an engineer, I'm always thinking efficiency. I only build what the camera can see. There's, there's literally nothing else. Sometimes I even have to crop because the edge is showing. So it's, it's all very you know, efficient. How do you make these as, much as, uh, as fast as possible? It's all about the production side. Again, the, the characters are very small. It's easy to bump things. If you bump your camera, if you bump your set, well, start over. You're not going get, to get it back to the same spot. Uh, the characters also get very dusty, just because it's, you're zoomed in so far, so you got to always keep them clean. Uh, you know, not to go into tons of detail about the video side, but you also have to worry about the timing and spacing. Again, the frame rate comes into play. If I have a faster frame rate, uh, the, the LEGO minifigures only can walk one certain way, so if I speed up the frame rate, all of a sudden they're going to walk too fast. And I have to come up with a new way to animate walking to slow it down. So there's all these different things, and you know, you'll notice with the pool video, there's people in the background. You've got to worry about if a guy's walking and he takes a turn, uh, he can't diagonally walk because he's on a studded base plate. So there's tons of little drawbacks with Lego, especially their size. Again, a, a couple other things. For this car, for example, the vertical bars represent where the pictures are taken. You have to ease in and ease out of the motion, they'll say. So if the car needs to accelerate, and then slow back down for it to look natural. And then in the videos of mine, everything you saw and will see is pure Lego, pure toys, nothing else, no real special effects. Uh, the only corner I like to cut is something called masking. Uh, it's essentially where you combine two pictures to erase things you don't want. Like for this example, it's a pizza delivery guy jumping through the air. You can combine two pictures and get rid of the support. So it's not really a special effect, but there's no other way to get a guy midair because it's a picture, not a video. Then you put it in your editing program, you know, get your timing, get your spacing, everything like that, and then boom, you've got a video. So the main question, and I guess the, the business side of it, is what do you do once you make those videos? I 
I made videos for four years as a hobby, and then I've been doing it for 10 years professionally, so there's got to be some reason for the videos. Well, the biggest thing is, you know, with YouTube, I'd say 90% or more of my business is through YouTube. There's other platforms, you know, like Amazon and Roku and different things, but the main focus here is YouTube. Uh, YouTube, it's almost all advertising. You'll notice that there's different formats. Uh, I don't know if some of these are more obsolete or if they're still current. Uh, when I started making videos, shows, shows my age again, uh, it was almost all PC views, you know, mobile phones, no one really was watching videos on their phones yet, and it quickly, quickly turned around. So as a result, YouTube has to think, okay, how do we change the ads, keep the platform relevant, that sort of thing. So with ads, everyone just thinks, oh, I'll make something, I'll put ads on it, boom, we'll make money. But it's really not that easy. The main thing is you have to have numbers. Uh, like, I'll, I'll have like a quarter million views a day on YouTube. That's enough to be a sustainable income. If you got 10, 20,000 views a day, that's going to be maybe enough to buy you lunch. You know, you, you really need the numbers just because platforms like YouTube take a cut. And, you know, per view, you're not making that much money. And then the, the money actually depends on what ad format. If you see a little pop-up on the side, you probably don't even see those. There's peripheral vision, you just ignore them. If it's in your face, that costs more money. If it's a skippable ad and you skip it, that doesn't pay that much. If you have to sit through the ad and you can't skip it, that pays even more. But the most is if you actually follow through. Like if you have an ad for Toyota, and you're like, I'm actually shopping for a car, and you click the links. That's where the big money's at. You saw a video ad, it was in your face, and you were actually following through with it. So the advertisers, they like that because it's an ad that worked. The other side is that the ads, where do they come from? Well, it's, it's companies looking to sell their ads. There, there aren't just, there's not just a pool of ads you can pick from and just say, I want those and I want these because they pay more. It has to deal with what the companies want to spend. Advertising is very expensive. I mean, I'm, I'm just getting a little pocket change and I'm you know, living quite well. So it's all about ads and then uh, YouTube actually does ad auctions. Uh, it's, I don't want to be like, uh, you know, on record saying this is a very simplified version, but YouTube essentially does these ad auctions where they go, okay, hey, this guy makes Lego family-friendly content, probably younger males. So the companies go, ooh, I would like to advertise with him. I, I sell toys. I want to get in on a toy-loving audience. So they'll put an ad on my videos trying to hit that demographic. Well, if it's Christmas time and there's a lot of different companies fighting over, you know, my videos, for example, they'll start to bid with each other and run the auction up. So they're paying more per ad because there's, they're fighting for the ad space. So this time of year, nothing really special happening, no holidays, no real reason to shop. So you just get normal run-of-the-mill ads. But at Christmas time, everyone's fighting for ads. They're blowing the last of their yearly budgets. The companies, you know, they're emptying the purses. And you're making great money. And then January hits, boom, just bedrock, nothing. So it's a very seasonal, very trendy, and there's a lot more to the ad side than you think of because it's people that are buying ads and people in the, you know, they're in a, in a room trying to decide what, where they should advertise, what their budgets are, and that really you know, depends on what I make them. Uh, the other side is demographic. Uh, again, I work with kids. There's lots of restrictions with advertising with kids. Uh, sometimes you'll hear of like a controversy too. Uh, different, like a, like a kid video with some kind of like scandal or like adult content in it. And then all of a sudden the advertisers that were associated with that, they didn't even know it, 
but all of a sudden they're paired with these you know, atrocities. So there's all these problems where if something bad happens, all the advertisers step back because they're skeptical, and all of a sudden everyone on YouTube takes a big hit. So I have an agent actually, I, I'm paired with a, a company in California, so they go direct to the advertisers and go, listen, this guy's rock solid, pay us direct instead of going through YouTube, we'll make sure you get the right, the right place for your ads. So it's, it's always interesting, and again, location, you know, United States versus Malaysia, you're gonna get different advertisings, things like that. So for me, the biggest thing is, you know, knowing your market. I guess, so this is more of the, the learning business side. Uh, I knowingly make videos for kids. You know, obviously, you know, I hope other people enjoy them, but I didn't make them for you, I made them for kids. Like, I, I have friends and they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't watch the latest video of yours. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. I, you know, I didn't expect you to watch it in the first place. I'm glad that you feel you should. But so, you, you need to know your market and kind of corner in on that. Uh, as I mentioned, when I started out, I wasn't making Lego videos. I never thought that would be a thing. All of a sudden, though, they started paying me, so of course I'm gonna start you know, going down that road. Uh, I guess to take a step back a bit, when I started making videos and I was starting to gain popularity, I had a big mix, nothing was happening, and then YouTube actually contacted me after I had a video explode in popularity. I went from getting 300 views a day, 300, to getting 750,000 views overnight. Uh, YouTube was different back in the day, but I was randomly featured on YouTube's homepage. So if you went to YouTube during this one week in January 2008 or whatever, I was on the homepage of YouTube. There was no way you could have seen it otherwise just because how YouTube was structured. So YouTube approached me and said, hey, you've got some popular content. Let's put ads on it. Let's partner. Let's all make some money. But I didn't own the copyrights. I didn't own Lego. Uh, I didn't own the sound effects I used, you know, the copyright infringement music in the background. I couldn't do anything. So, you know, the, there's different opportunities. I decided to clean up my image, go professional, stick with the kid audience. You know, I, I really had to decide what my audience was going to be. And that's sort of the deciding factor is you have to specialize and know your audience. Uh, another example is like, I'm a fan of like, like Stephen Colbert. He's got his late night show and he puts all the clips on YouTube. Well, I might only like, like the monologues and I don't care for the interviews or the games or things like that. So I don't subscribe to him on YouTube because it's just a bunch of content and like there's one I like. So I don't want to be that guy. I want to be someone where every video I go out, it's exactly what the audience wants. They want a silent cartoon of Legos. If I, they don't want a live action of me explaining something, you know, they don't want a tutorial, they want videos. So you really need to specialize, hone in on that, and try to get your numbers up. And if, if that's not working, if it's too specialized, you need to be able to adjust slightly and try to get more of an audience. So for me, if my videos were doing poorly, maybe I could add voices. It would, it would choke out certain areas, but then maybe gain more because it's more of a cartoon. The biggest thing for me right now is the oversaturation and competition. It's the same for every business everywhere. You start out, you're doing well, and all of a sudden there's, there's too many people and you're fighting over the, you know, there's only so many viewers going around. So with me, I, I guess I didn't go to business school. I'm an engineer, so you know, some other people could argue differently. But I'd say with the business cycle, there's a couple different parts that are very important. You, you get your resources, you launch, you start your channel, and then you grow. You, know, you find your audience, you develop, you get better. People naturally find you, you turn it around. But then there's competition. 
When I started out on YouTube, I was actually one of the beginning people doing Lego stop motion. There were probably 10 of us that were any good, and I was one of the few people that actually struck it big and continued with it. But so as that got going, more people started learning that this was a thing. Art popularity inspired people to copy it. All of a sudden, there's a lot of people making videos, and it's really hard to stand out. So 10 years later, I'm still a big guy, I'm still a veteran, but there's so much competition, it's really, really hard to stand out. So that's where the competition is. The maturity, you know, people lose interest, you get new people, kind of flatlines. But then you eventually get a decline of people just getting bored, or there's way too many people making videos to where you really can't stand out anymore. Uh, so I guess for me, the business tips I'd have is to learn to capitalize on those opportunities. Like I said, the video production I did was all during my education. I did it through high school and college. I saw the potential, I kept it going. Uh, anyone else would have just been like, oh, okay, that was a hobby, forget it. But I, I saw that it was growing and it had potential long term, even though for four years I didn't get a single penny. Uh, the other side is, I've been paid for 10 years, I never thought it would even be a thing to begin with. So I knew that, hey, if this is gonna be a thing, it's gonna be short-lived. I have to take advantage of this fully, ride it out, don't overspend, know my limits, because it's, it's a bubble and it's gonna burst. So I took as much advantage as I could. I invested as much as I could. I, I mean, I made, I made a lot of money for a couple years and the only treat I had for myself was I, I bought myself a used Mercedes. I didn't even go out and buy a new car. You know, so I, I lived within the means because I knew, hey, this isn't gonna last and I'd, I'd rather work less than have nice things. So I guess that's sort of the other side is if you get this money, are you, gonna, are you working so that one day you can retire at the age of 40? Or are you working so you can drive a Ferrari to work and work till you're 70? It's, it's really one or the other unless you're like really, really hitting it off. So I guess that's my advice is you know, really take advantage of when you can, learn how to adjust and react, and then really try to be good with your finances. The other side is I, my popularity was, you know, I'm 28 now, and arguably this is starting to come towards an end. So I'm still young and I've got a lot ahead of me. Most people haven't even started their careers yet. So again, it's the, the importance of timing. The other thing with YouTube is it's all, it's all royalty based. Uh, like right now, there's probably you know, a couple hundred people watching even that one video I just showed. Just because it's so many people worldwide, things of that nature. They're, they're watching ads, I'm making money. So you get those, those royalties and it's really nice to make a revenue stream out of it. Uh, the other side is I've done work with other companies. <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, you know, a company will say, what's your rate to make a video? What, how much do I have to pay you for you to make a video for me and I get to buy it and own it? And it's always this weird question because you have no idea what a video is going to make over its term. Uh, is, is YouTube going to be alive in 10 years? I don't know. You know, so you have to try to think of what's a, a lump sum you'd take up front that would be the same as that revenue stream the entire video would make. I'd say, hey, would, would you rather make $1,000 right now or $20 a day? And you're like, well, for how long? Well, I don't know, $20 a day. And you're like, okay, so you really have to decide what you want. But what's really nice for me is this has become a revenue stream. So even if I quit making videos today, it would still coast and you know, eventually peter off into something. But so it, it's nice to make these revenue streams for yourselves when you can, because a one-time payout disappears really quickly. So again, you know, try to diversify. And people always ask, you know, oh, when are you going to re retire? I'm like, well, I'm arguably retired. I, I quit my day job four years ago. You know, this is what I've been doing. Some would argue it's retired. Some would say, you know, I'm working full time. 
So I guess the other, the other question too is how much do I work? Well, this week I haven't worked yet. You know, it's the end of the day Wednesday, I've yet to go to work. But the other side is I know the weekend's gonna be windy and rainy and whatever, so I might put in 60 hours this weekend. I don't know. So it's all trying to capitalize on opportunities, make use of your free time. Because for me, every day I'm just sitting here, that's time I could have spent on a video. Every time I'm you know, wasting, it's, it's time I could have spent elsewhere. And that's really the hard part of working for yourself is there's no such thing as paid time off. It's time you don't get paid, and then when you come back, you gotta dig yourself out of that hole, because not only were you gone, but YouTube started to slip because you weren't there. So there's all these interesting perks and quirks of you know, working for yourself. So I guess without talking over, and I'd, I'd rather than me direct it uh, into different like, rabbit holes of you know, being specific, I guess now's the time for you know, the question and answers. How long does it, does it take you to make a three-minute video? Okay, how long to make a three-minute video? I'd say as a rule of thumb, every one minute of video is like 10 hours of work. Uh, it, it really, really depends, though, on what's in the video. Uh, every video, you have to think scene by scene. Like, the guy walks in and looks. That was one scene. Okay, now you got to change up, set your camera, build a new set, whatever. So, if it's one guy, blank background, super easy. Ten minutes, maybe, I don't know. But then if there's a crowd running through, all of a sudden, that's ten times the people, that's ten times the work. So, all of a sudden, ooh, that, this one little scene is going to take me an hour or two. So there's been, there's been individual camera angles of videos that have taken me five hours or more for large crowd scenes. So it really depends on what's in them. I've actually filmed an entire video in 24 hours, and a three and a half minute video, I've done that in 24 hours, uh, like on a clock, like, you know, Tuesday. But you can't do that every time because the next video is gonna be more complicated. And then the other side is if there's any special effects or processing, that adds after the fact. So it's not all just pictures, but whenever I can, you know, it will be. If you stop doing uh, you know, your YouTube videos with, with the Legos, would, would you try to go back to like, you know, doing like you used to do with engineering, or would you uh, do something else, you think? You're saying if YouTube doesn't work out for me, what would I do? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the, there's two sides of it. The, the one is, would I, would I quit YouTube and just have a, a normal, traditional career, or would I change and just do a different version of YouTube? And I guess I don't know what I would do right now. Uh, because with Lego stop motion, that's what I've learned, that's what I'm good at. I, I could adapt to other versions of stop motion, but try to think of an adult form of stop motion, because it, you know, I've, I've captured the kid audience, there's really no adult audience for what I do. People have suggested uh, to do more, you know, not necessarily like adult theme, just because that sounds dirty, but more of a, an adult theme type Lego stop motion, but there's really no market for that. You know, it's, it's limiting. So I don't know if I would have the skill set to completely transform and try something else on YouTube. Like I know what I would need to do, but I, you know, I see what's popular on YouTube and that's not what I'm into. I'm into, you know, my own corner of it. So it is interesting, but my, my plan B is an engineering degree. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with doing that, you know, as a person. Honestly, it's almost like what, the best feeling is when you're at a job and you know you could leave at any time. That's the best feeling ever. But so the deal is, you just need that feeling. It's like, I'll, like if you're working in an engineering job and you know you could do YouTube, just knowing you can do it's probably all you need. You may not actually ever do it. So with me, it's, it's knowing I don't have to go back to an engineer. I'm not too sure. 
it's all these, it's, it's just weird mind games of where I want to be in life. But uh, I, I guess it's almost a relief, though, to think of what it would be like to have steady income, to have paid time off, to have benefits again, just because YouTube is a roller coaster. It averages out okay to a nice living wage, but I mean, there's, there's been a December where I've made as much as I would have made in like, you know, six months as an engineer, but then January hits and I make like 500 bucks. And then the next month, you know, we're back to several thousands. And it's, you really have to worry about the averages. And uh, YouTube changes their algorithms all the time. And that's, you know, what content is favored, how you stick out in the audience. So it's, it's a roller coaster ride, and I, I would like some more st stability, but I don't know if I'm ready to sit behind a desk again. Um, do you see any correlation between like your viewers, or yeah, your viewers per video and like how long they are? Uh, not really. I guess YouTube. I, I didn't touch on it just because it's more detailed. But YouTube keeps insane amounts of data. If you open YouTube and close it, you already affected like ten people. Because if you saw a thumbnail for a video and didn't click it, YouTube goes, "Oh, they weren't interested." Noted. If you start a video and then leave, they go, "He only watched a minute." Noted. He left. He didn't give it a like. He didn't comment. He didn't share. Subscribe. Noted. All these are like black marks for the video. So another thing that's important is how long a viewer sticks around. So for me, I would like to get more minutes watched, whether that's view count or long time views. Uh, so YouTube lately has been more focused on the time watched. So you know, if you've got a couple people watching a long video, that's arguably as good as a bunch of people watching a short video. So it, it really depends, but at the same time, if it's a long video and they leave halfway through, YouTube goes, oh, they didn't make it to the end, and they keep track. So it would be beneficial for me to make longer videos, but it's the same number of ads. YouTube would just favor me a little more, and only if they'd stick around. So it's always this, this complex game of YouTube data, and there's really no answer, rhyme, or reason. But with YouTube, uh, it's mostly what's suggested. You'll go to YouTube to watch one video, and then you kind of just stumble around, and you're there for an hour. So when you stumble around and you see like the suggested videos, YouTube has an algorithm to control what you see. So you just want to try to follow the rules, do the best you can to be on that list. So for me, my popular videos are unfortunately some of the old ones. So if you stumble across me on YouTube and you go, oh, I watched one of your videos, I'm like, ooh, that was from 2006. That was terrible. But that's what's popular. So I, I, I can't control it, but you can see what's successful and try to mimic that again. But so the, the actual length of the video has nothing to do with it. Why is it important that, um, how many subscribers you have? Well, the subscribers, it's really changed. Uh, as far as a conversational perspective, it's more of just a status symbol. That's like how many like loyal people like you. Because you can have a viral video go crazy, but no one knows who it is or what it is or anything. But when you subscribe, you're like, ooh, I like this guy. I'm going to look him up. But so for me, uh, like I said, you, YouTube has changed. Uh, before it used to be when you put a video out, it went into the mailbox of every single subscriber, and they'd watch a new video. Well, now YouTube's kind of cluttered, and they're trying to control more of what they think you're interested in. So when you open up YouTube, it's all their suggestions for what you think or for what they think you should watch. Then you have to go over and find your subscriptions button, go to it and see what the people you follow have put out. So although I have 1.3 million subscribers, I'll put out a video and just a small fraction of those people will actually see the new video. 
So it's all how YouTube controls it. You're at the mercy of other people. But that's essentially what it is, is that when you put a new video out, the subscribers are the first to see it. So because YouTube changed how they do that, that now they're controlling what everyone sees, not the individual controlling mm -hmm. it, does that impact your earnings? Uh, I mean, the, the views and the earnings are basically directly you know, correlated. So if, if YouTube changes who they're favoring and what content they're favoring, if my views go down, my ads go down. But again, it, it all depends on what ads you're getting, where they're from, you know, the, the finances of the ads. But yeah, in, uh, in 20, 2016, YouTube did an across-the-board big change and really started to push more minutes. They, they changed the, the algorithm, and all of a sudden, from 2015 to 2016, I saw like a 40% drop. And there was nothing I could do about it. I just all of a sudden was making less money, getting less views. So again, that's the, the importance of capitalizing on that uh, the bubble while you can. But at the same time, you got to look up and be like, okay, how can I get back in the game? Why was I marked this certain way? Because every day, more people are watching YouTube. But a lot of these people you follow, they'll be complaining that, oh, YouTube's changed. And no one's watching videos anymore. And it's, it's not true. It's just that YouTube's trying to control you know, and make sure people are watching their favorites. And for them, their favorites are what's, what's viral, what are people watching, what are people talking about, and making money for YouTube. Because, I mean, YouTube's taking like 40% of what I'm making. So they, they want people to watch me, but if they have someone better, they're going to promote them first. So do you have a direct partnership with YouTube, or are you going through a third party? Um, I guess techni technically I'm through rights. a third party. Uh, the whole rights thing, though, uh, it's YouTube has the say. That's that. If there's any kind of copyright infringement, or uh, oh, for for example, I made a video kind of mimicking. You know, there was the bird box challenge. People put, were putting on blindfolds and stuff. I did a little Lego version. You know, lighthearted. It's a cartoon. It's Lego. Ha ha. But I had a guy put on a blindfold, just kind of drunkenly stumble around, and like cars were narrowly missing him, and it was just this success, funny goof. But because it was related to this thing. YouTube just went, no, we're not putting ads on anything Bird Box Challenge related. No questions asked, that's it. So I spent 50 hours making a video, never will make a penny on it. So that's, that's YouTube's ruling. But so I do have a middleman. Essentially what they do, though, is they, they'll take 10%, but as a result, they get you better ads. So they're taking 10%, but it's not of 100%, it's of like 150%. So I do have a third party, but it's more for just marketing opportunities. And uh, again, if there's any controversy, YouTube, just all the advertisers just back off because they know something bad happened and they're skeptical. But if there's a middleman, they go, no, 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 our guy's solid, keep spending money, and then they will. So it's, it's nice to have a little buffer zone. Uh, you know, I've got a call of California you know, a couple times every month with the little pointers, but it's, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's limiting because you still have the YouTube boss. Curiosity. Um, when you have like the Lego pieces that you have, do you ever go out to like the store and kind of buy more Lego set, you know, to expand like what you have already, or yeah, I guess with with my videos, it's all you know brick based, classic. There's there's architecture, it's it's buildings and walls. When you go to the Lego store or something, it's they got like cars and dinosaurs. It's hard to find just the traditional building materials, but I do buy all the time for specifics. Uh, the other thing that's great is when I drive to the mall. I write off those miles, whatever I buy, business expense, drive home, you know, write off the miles again. So there's all these quirks I do buy all the time. The engineer in me is real technical with it. I've got uh, 
you know, if you want a red piece, I go, is it a flat piece? Is it a brick? Is it a wedge? They're all, they're all organized in the wall. Just because when I'm making a video, I, I got to hurry up and build this set and get out the door. So I, I buy all the time. I've got them all meticulously organized. And that's just for the sake of, you know, speed and what makes sense. Because I remember as a kid, you just dump the bin out on the floor and you're looking forever to find that one exhaust piece you need. <laughs> Have you ever tried like a drawing animation? Uh, I guess I, I'm a decent in, uh, like drawing artist. But the, the drawing side, the problem is you have to turn that into a digital art form. Uh, so I guess a lot of people, instead of doing pencil to paper, they'll just start drawing on a computer. And then if you're drawing on a computer, hey, why don't you just dabble in CGI? You know, it, it goes down the computer route. Uh, if, if I knew computers better, maybe I'd make you know, CGI Lego videos. That is a, a form. There's plenty of those online. But the stop motion, I guess it's the actual physical seeing toys come to life that people like. So that's, I've just been doing what the audience wants. So have you ever thought about doing something other than stop action? I mean, clearly you have to write a story. You have to yeah. direct. Well, well that's sort of the other pose. side, too, is people are always like, well, how do you come up with your ideas? And I'm like, hey, you, you work on a Lego gas station for 30 hours and tell me you're not thinking of something else. You know, you... You're always trying to think of other ideas and how they tie together. Uh, the, one of the big restraints with Lego, though, is I had a video where they're trying to catch a mouse in the house. And I'm like, ooh, can I even build a mouse trap? I don't know. It, might, it may be giant because they don't make the pieces small for the characters. So there's certain things you start working on, and all of a sudden, you're like, it's, it's not going to work. i got to bag that idea. So occasionally, you can, I'll, I have a notebook of all these like, little pieces I like. Like, oh, guy pops his head off, looks around the corner, puts it back on. I don't know when, when I'll use that, but I, I've got that in the arsenal. But so the, the ideas are always there. You know, people always say I'm really creative, but if, you're, if this is your job, you know, you're kind of forced to be. So I guess I could apply those to other things. They are little stories. But as far as the silent movie type goes, it's kind of awkward if it was with people. You know, so the, the, the Lego media actually helps out those stories. So I guess, you know, for now, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. If, if it falls through, I, I could change to other platforms. I think I've seen some stop motion with like um, clay animation, right? Yeah. But you've never... I've, I've dabbled in clay. Uh, the, the, the deal is it's 15 frames per second. And I guess to go back to why I'm doing Lego, I started out with like doing action figures and transformers and different things I had. but. Uh, to have a character walk, the Lego guy sticks to the floor, so it's really easy. And if he has to balance, okay, he's square, he can do it. An action figure can only stand or fall over. You have to like tack them in place and use supports, and it's really tedious. So with clay, it's the same thing. If you want to have the guy move, there's no leg to grab. You can't have to like make a leg and hope he didn't like stretch it out too long. You know, there's all these problems with clay as well, just because you have to touch it 15 times for one second of video. So I mean, there's plenty of clay. You know, claymation is a popular term. That's what I that's what I called you know Lego stop motion for for years and years was claymation because that's what the original exposure was. But uh, I guess what I, I like the benefits of using Lego more than the shortcomings of it. I like that it's all snapped together, crystal clear. You know, right corners versus clay is like oh he walked here now there's a trail of clay on the table. So there's you know with every different form there's plenty of drawbacks. Someone wanted to know, and you did mention this before we started to some people that were here earlier, but have you been approached to do advertising? 
Yes, I've, I've done sponsored projects with companies. It is a little harder to do specifics because it is Lego branded. Like, you know, Mega Blocks, a competitor, knows that if they came in, they're like, we can't encroach on their turf, whatever. But I've done video, video game releases. Uh, I did the, a, a promo for the Lego on Blu-ray being released, Lego movie. Uh, so there's, there are some opportunities where it does work, but it's, it's limiting. Uh, the last one I did was with this World of Tanks. I think it's called, it's, it's a, an app, you, you know, you fight as tanks. So they sent me their tank sets. I did a little like mock battle. I tried to make it lighthearted and work with my audience. But uh, I guess the deal with those is, again, a lot of times you have to decide, if I make this video, who owns the rights? Can I make money off of it, or is it going to sit in your hands? So if you do a sponsored project, you have to be able to come up with a price point that works for both people, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. So there are opportunities. I have done them, but I mean, it's probably less than 10 in 10 years. So with the ad populace and everything, I know that was a big deal. Um, how hard did that actually hit your channel, since you were already a, a much larger uh, channel to begin with? Well, that's sort of the other interesting thing, is people assume, because I'm on YouTube, I know all the ins and outs, and all the scandals affect me. I would say there was never an apocalypse. Because there, for, for me, it's just trends and things go up and down. I never noticed a big bump or problems. And that's just because, like I said, if there's a scandal or if there's some kind of challenge and it's you know, causing problems, advertisers back off. But they know, hey, this guy's making Lego videos. There's not going to be like, you know, like racism elements or things of that nature in this type of video. So I'm completely unaffected when there's scandals of that nature. So for me, it's just up and down, learning what YouTube likes and dislikes. Uh, like, like I said, right now I'm sort of in a lull, but that's just because there's so many people doing Lego videos. It's just the time of year doesn't pay very well. You know, it's just a couple things, and right now I'm just weathering out the storm because I know summertime's always good, December's always good, it'll come back. But so it is, it is interesting though because there's all these different giant scandals and I won't even notice. Sometimes I'll actually go up because an advertiser is going, we need to spend $1,000, and they go, ooh, we can't, we can't go there, we can't go there, here, you take it. And I'm like, okay, bring it my way, you know. So it's all just a matter of, you know, who's putting the ads out there. So if, they, if the advertising company is afraid of something, then my revenue will go down. Other than that, it's business as usual. Do you ever want to like work for like Lego itself to help them, you know, with like, for example, um, you know, more advertising and stuff? Or do you ever like not be able to, you know, ever go down that path, be able to, you know, really work with them? And, you know, like, yeah, I, I guess I, I, it's always good to work with someone because it's a guaranteed, you know, decent paycheck. But at the end of the day, the reason I'm sticking with this is that I'm my own boss. Uh, I, I think I mentioned before this, uh, you know, the live stream. I, I did a project before with Nintendo. And it was to help promote this, uh, you know, cops and robbers type Lego game, and uh, they, they were, you know, pleasant to work with. But at the end, they said, "Ooh, you, you had this guy. He, had, he was shown with a chicken wing. We don't want to show a protein. You know, they, they were fairly picky. They're like, we need to replace it with like a cupcake or something. We don't want to like offend a vegan or things of that nature. So remove the chicken wing." And I'm like, "That's that's that's a 20-hour edit. I can't I can't just change that. I got to refilm everything. I got." That building no longer exists, I have to reconstruct it. So at the 11th hour, I had to correct this video. And you know, if it was for myself, I would have been like, oh, it's a chicken wing. I got, I got one comment, and he was fine with it. You know, 
So it is, it's good to work with people for the job security, for the exposure. Uh, like with the Lego Movie promotion, that was through Warner Brothers. It was kind of cool to have some in with some companies that are recognizable, but uh, sometimes the, the headache of working with other people isn't quite worth it. So if they pay nicely, hey, I'm all bored, right this way, whatever you need. But if it's up to my mind or if it's going to break even, sometimes I pass. So you're talking about your demographic. What's your average age and what's the average view time that uh, you typically get? I guess, re remember that question because I have one other thing that popped into my head. Gotcha. An interesting thing about my videos is that my most popular videos are also the most disliked and most abandoned videos. And that's, I like that, but it also hurts me. Uh, what happens is, when a video goes out, it's like 100% likes, and it's all love, and people watch it to the end. Those are your fanatic followers. They're going to watch whatever you put out and just love it and eat it up. But when someone hates it, that means you bust it out into another demographic. All of a sudden, you're in the general public hitting you know, adults, and they go, this is a kid's video. Get out of here. Give it a dislike. So it's funny, because when you start getting that hate, you realize you left that little circle, and you start to break out. But at the same time, you're starting to get that you know, negative response, and that's not, it's not good for the company, but it's good for spreading because you need to start breaking into other ground. So it is interesting because that, uh, my biggest video is over 90 million views, and it probably has, you know, it has for sure the most downvotes, not just by number, but by percentage of every video everywhere. So as a result, I guess to segue into your question, those videos, on average, people only watch about half just on average, because the fanatic people wait to the end, the people who dislike it leave. So I guess for me, the average demographic is younger kids, you know, high school age and younger. It's actually surprising since it's like 50-50 male-female, which I didn't think. I think it'd be more kids, you know, boys playing with Legos, but it is pretty 50-50. And then the data I get is kind of conflicted, because you get another big surge at the 35 to like 40 range, and I don't know if that's People that finally have gotten mature enough to be like, oh, I like Legos. You know, when you're when you're 15, you're like, oh, Legos are for kids. You know, and you start to get in away from it, and then all of a sudden it's cool to like Legos again as an adult. But I think the main thing is that big bump is parents and kids using their account. So there's all this weird conflicting data. YouTube tries to guess who you are based on what you like, where you've been. But if you have an account that says, hey, I'm 47, they have to take that as the primary data. So it's, it's mostly younger people, but uh, it is surprising because the United States is my biggest company or biggest country for views, but they're 10% you know, or so of my total view count. So it's, it's kids everywhere, and as you get out of the United States, the, the data that they mine and get is, is harder to be accurate. So it's, you know, it, it, it is younger kids, there's that surge of adults, which I can't guarantee as adults, and then on average, uh, a viewer will give me two minutes. So for like a three minute video or so, that's pretty good. Uh, I think my longest video is maybe seven minutes, the shortest maybe two. So it's, it's a decent percentage as far as YouTube goes because I know a lot of times you'll, you'll open up a video and just like play one part. You know, if it's like a funny video, viral type thing. So I do have a good audience retention rate. And then the other thing that's good for me is when people are presented with thumbnails of my videos, about 10% of the time they'll click on them. And that's another big factor, because like I said, when you open up YouTube and just, if you open it and close it, you affected way more data than you could think of, and that could be the difference of that guy getting featured next time, or him staying in front of you talking. So, 
it's, it's interesting. And then the other side is people always go, oh, why don't you just play your own videos and click on your own ads and stuff like that? Well, that comes down to the, the numbers game. You know, everyone thinks, oh, I'll, I'll put ads on my, my new phone app and just make a bunch of money. Well, you, you got to get 100,000 views before, you know, anything happens. When I, I started getting paid in October of 2009, and YouTube would pay me once I hit $100. It took me until April to get paid. You know, so starting out, it was like a penny a day, up, that, that day rounds down, zero. Okay, this, this rounds up. And I was still pulling like 10, 20,000 views a day then. You know, so it, it, it always changes. It's a numbers game. The music you use, is that, you pay for that or do you find uh, public domain? I'm, I'm very surprised by this one. There's, there's a lot of people online that make music and put it out there just for the sake of being out there. Uh, in this video, I believe, I was using a gentleman by the name of Kevin McLeod. He's all over the place. You'll always hear, even on like Facebook, like, you know, cat videos and stuff, you'll occasionally hear like this, this peppy, silent movie type music. That's that guy. He makes it. You can go to his page, download, use for free as long as you give him credit, and then there's like a donation button. There's plenty of people like that, and they have no problem with you using their content. Uh, if, if, for example, someone were to buy that video outright and have it in their ownership, I'm sure there would be something different, but since all my videos are on YouTube, I satisfy all of that. Uh, for, I'm trying to think of when, probably mid-2014 to mid-16 or 17, I actually had a guy specific for me. Uh, it was a guy in the United Kingdom. He actually approached me and said, hey, I, I make music. Can I work with you? So I would make a video silent, send it to him, he'd put music on it, and then I'd pay him. So there was a time period where I was paying a guy for a specific custom music I owned the rights to, but at the same time, it was like, why am I paying a guy if it's free everywhere else? So it was, it was good for the time. I, I do miss working with him, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's money on paper. Yeah, so I guess, you know, with, with YouTube, there's all these, you know, legal gray areas. You, know, you, you have to make sure you don't step on any toes. Like I said, if, if someone decides something's controversial, and shuts you down. You have to be able to think ahead. That's why all of mine are very generic. Uh, you know, what are people searching for? What are they watching? The most offensive thing in that video was, oh, hey, look, I keep, I, a kid peed in the pool. You know, things like that. So it's, I don't think there's any problems with those, but yeah, your, your music, if you find out that that guy wants to collect royalties and it's up there, you either have to delete it or, you know, start paying him or whatever. There's no, there's no editing once it's out there. And that's another thing is I have videos with blatant mistakes, but no one no one catches them. I, I catch them because I made the video. You know, like I'll I'll be animating and I'll bump something, and then I'll just like I I messed up. I'll I'll fix that in post and I'll like take it out. So the video all of a sudden like something disappears and I never fixed it. But but the audience isn't watching for that. It's just I see it every time because I made it, but I can never fix it. It's it's out there. Millions of people are looking right at it. It's my flaw. I have to accept it. How much time do you usually spend in post-production then? It depends on the complexity of the video. If it's a normal video, kind of lighthearted, like, like the pool video, the only thing I'd have to edit and post is like the jumps. So when the guy gets off the diving board, every frame there, there is a support, and I had to remove that frame by frame. But it's really only like five, ten frames, you know, at most. Uh, so when you, when you animate, you kind of get it paced on the fly. Like if you do a couple scenes a day, You'll post them in the program, make sure they look good before you, you know, continue and do the next scene. 
So it's already crudely laid out. You see how the story goes. And then when you, you go to like post-production and to edit, I've gotten good to where if it's all done Thursday night, I can wake up Friday morning, knock it out, and have the video go live at noon. So again, it's just the efficiency, getting good at it, and then knowing where to cut corners for the sake of production time. Like there are different secrets to how you do the masking to make it better. You know, you want that support as hidden as possible to begin with, so there's even less to remove. So I mean, it's you know as much as a day for video, but the video may take a week otherwise for all the other stuff. Any other questions? So since you're your own boss, during tax season when Uncle Sam starts knocking at your door, how's Ohio uh, for you on that front? Well, I guess the the, the tax situation was uh, it, it grew much faster in the beginning than I thought it would. So there was a year where I filed my taxes, and ooh, surprise, I owe $11,000. My guesses were off. Uh, so after that scare, I started pairing with an accountant. And uh, every, every month, I give him my numbers, what I made, what I spent, and then the taxes are done you know, once a month. So it is good for that. Uh, I am an S corporation, you know, so I do have the, the I am a business. Uh, the other side of that is I do have to pay unemployment. I do have to play work, pay workers' comp. There are things you have to do as a business, but the other side of that is anything I can justify is a business expense. So that, that, that does help out. You know, you buy a computer part, you need it for your videos, you're, you're not paying taxes on that. So it, it's really, I mean, I don't know the new tax code, but you're, you're saving like 20% on whatever you buy for the business. So there's, there's different loopholes like that, but uh, you, you, you do save, it does, it's a problem for taxes because you have all the other, you know, stuff with that. Uh, I don't have I don't have my own benefits. You know, I have to buy my own health care through the government, things like that. So that's the other beauty of working for yourself is all of a sudden you're like, ah, maybe I should exercise because I can't afford that bill. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, the biggest thing, like I said before, is there's no paid time off. If you're not working, that's that's wasted time. If I'm sitting on the beach for a week taking vacation. I, it, it's going to double hurt me versus another guy still getting paid time off. So working for, your, working for yourself is great, but again, learn to capitalize on those opportunities because they're not going to be there long. Any, any other questions? Okay, well, thank you very much.